0: my word is a light unto my path so would you take your Bible and let's hold it together as we pray if you didn't happen to bring a copy of God's word there should be one under the chair in front of you just hold a copy of God's word in your hand what's this worth thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars million dollars Lord Jesus Christ, we hold your word in our hands. These dear ladies have invited us to consider that thy word is a light unto our path. Now, would you please guide us from your word? Would you please speak your truth into our minds and our hearts as we need to hear it? God, because you made each of us, and because you're God, you know what's going on in each of our lives there's not one of us in this room, oh God, who can, who can chart our own course successfully without you. We can't see the future, so we can't prepare ourselves for it properly. But you can. And so, God, I'm asking that in these next moments you would speak your truth, your hope, your healing, your help, and if needed, your conviction into each of our lives. In Jesus' name I'm praying this. Amen and amen. Do you join me in that prayer, that God would speak his truth into our lives? Children, I want to dismiss you to some adults who have God's word ready to open to you, little ones up through grade four. And if you'd go ahead and open your copy of God's word into the New Testament, please, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Aren't you grateful for those wonderful adults who prepare all week to receive your children? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There are some notes in your worship folder. I'd urge you to take them out, please, along with a pen or a pencil because I'm confident that God wants to speak His truth into your life as we just prayed. The picture that you see on the screen, I I wonder if you're drawing weary of it. I hope not. I know I'm not. I love the look on that child's face, don't you? And as the leaves have fallen off the trees and occasionally we're getting a little of that white stuff, that snu, snu, I can't say the word yet. Um, It sure is nice to see the lake in the green, right, and to remind us that it won't be too long and it'll be back again. The invitation that God has been giving to you and to me and to every living human being is come close to me it's okay you don't have to be afraid I made you I know you I love you and I understand where you are in your journey of life draw near to me but something inside of us says oh no God I I can't draw near to you You're, you're, you're too everything but he says no no come on and as you draw near to me you will be awed by who I am and as we have an encounter you and me It will change you so that when you walk away from our encounter, you'll be a different person because you and I had an encounter. Is that true? And isn't that what this is all about this morning? We haven't come here to go through some motions. We've come here, right, to have an encounter with the living God, to be changed by our time with Him. So over the last few weeks, I've been asking us to consider that when you draw near to God and you begin to understand His holiness something changes in you and you walk away from that and you start living more holy because you encountered God's holiness. And when you encounter God's majesty, whatever pride there is in you begins to diminish and you walk away from that encounter humbly, living humility, right? And last week we looked at God's word and we saw that when you approach God and you understand the outrageousness of his forgiveness of you and me, then when you walk away from that encounter, you start living as a person who is ready to forgive others, right? Now today, when you approach the grace of God, the abundance of His kindness, something should awaken in you that is what I'm calling generous gratitude for Thanksgiving week. You see what I wrote for you in your notes? Our world is full of wrong. Wrong wounds us. Pain becomes the normal. In our broken, painful, wounded condition, we consider our options. I've listed three of them for you. The first option, which is the one where most everybody lives, at least for a little while, I'll find a way to survive in my pain. So we pretend. We pretend we don't have a broken heart. We pretend that life doesn't hurt. We put a smile on our face when really we're angry. Occasionally, though, there's a little crack in the door and you get a glimpse into somebody who's living pretend and it isn't pretty, is it? Or we hide. I'm not going to let that person hurt me again. Or we find something that will deaden the pain, and that's not difficult in this state. Almost every corner there, there there's a bar or a liquor store in the state of Wisconsin and many other states as well, and, and you know that lots of folks have found that a shot a day or a six-pack a day or whatever it might be helps to deaden the pain or so they think because the pain just keeps growing doesn't it there's a border war between Mexico and the United States it's the drug war as you know that's going on down there because the dear folks in Mexico have found that there is an almost insatiable hunger in America for drugs to deaden the pain in every community across the United States there are therapists and counselors who will be happy for $150 or so to listen to your pain for an hour and then make an appointment for next week so they can get another $150 while they give you a couple of words to think about during the week. We, uh, Please don't hear me in any way speaking ill of that whole world and career of mental health assistance and counseling, but what I'm suggesting to you is one of the ways that we might try to pursue deadening the pain is thinking that somebody else's answers are what I need but what I want to suggest to you is yes someone else's answers is what you need but it's not another human being it's God himself who can meet you in your place of pain right you know anybody who's just trying to survive in their pain a second option it seems to me is we actually nurture the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness which naturally grows out of my pain but when we do that as we saw last week we do that to our own self-destruction because we become really ugly people when we nurture that pain inside of us and when it spills out of us it wounds everybody around us you can't contain the bitterness the third option though is the one I want us to discuss this morning and, and dig into God's word for it do you see what I wrote there it's finding a way out of the pain It's learning to live victoriously in a pain-inflicting, wounding world. It's living gratitude to God that overflows from you in generosity to a broken world. Wouldn't that be great if we all learned to live like that? It's possible, you know, and there's a picture of it right there. (laughs) So how do we get from the pit of despair, the pain, to that? Four steps. Here's the first one. You see it there in your notes? We look up from our pain pit. We, we look up. Why is that important? Because normally, when you're in that desperate place, you are so self consumed with your pain that you're looking at all around you what has caused it, and all you can see is yourself and the pain and the wrong. But God says, Look up from that desperate place and look to me. Look for the evidence, the fingerprint of God. You see the scripture there, Psalm 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. He is a stronghold in times of trouble. Now, either that's true or it's just fluffy words on a page. If you've experienced that it's true, say amen. 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 That's right. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. You could almost put that plural, those who know your names, the name of God, Jehovah Rapha, the great healing God, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God, (laughs) Jehovah Jireh, the providing God, right? Those who know your names will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Isn't that a great verse? What that says is, my dear friends, God promises that if you reach out to him, he will never, ever say, not today, I'm too busy, maybe tomorrow. Not until you, when you reach out to God, God promises he will immediately respond and begin to draw you up out of that pain pit. Amen? That's why in Isaiah, Isaiah wrote, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Lift your eyes up out of that painful place. And what do you see? You see things that he alone created. He will not grow tired. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You remember? So, first step in the pain pit, you have to decide am I just going to survive here? Am I going to let it eat me up and get angry here? Or am I going to look up from this painful place and look for the evidence of God around me and then reach up? You got your pencil, jot down next to that Psalm 77. That's one of my favorite little psalms in the Old Testament. I call it the U-turn psalm because the first nine verses are desperate. And then you come to verse 10 and it says, And then I appealed to the Lord. You ever found yourself on uh, Route 12 or Route 43 or any other uh, four-lane highway and you realize, I'm going the wrong direction. I should be going on those lanes the other way. And what's the first thing you do? You look for one of those next exits where you're going to get off and do it the proper way and cross over and get back on. No, you don't. You look for that little median thing in between the two. <laughs> the one that has no U-turn sign right in front of it. And then you look in your rearview mirror just, you know, just in case. And you sit real high in your seat to see how far down can you see in those. Uh... And you look, is there any weeds or bushes or trees along the side? you know. You know. <clears throat> and then you get off at the right exit and you go around. (laughs) Psalm 77 is that U-turn psalm that says when you've grown tired of the pit, it's okay. You can make the median turn. Get off as quickly as you possibly can and reach up. You see the questions that I put there for you? So what is your pain pit? Are you able to articulate it? Can you write it down? That place where you go and it hurts there. And what is it that you normally use to deal with your pain? Blaming other people? Excuses? Running away from it? Something artificial that maybe will deaden the pain? What holds me, underline this, friends, what holds me captive in my pit? What is my excuse for no rescue? That's a really important question. Would you agree? we have to look closely at ourselves to say why is it that I find myself down in this dark place so often and I refuse to take the action that's necessary to get out do I really trust that Jesus is the bondage breaker have I received his rescue you got your pencil I want to give you another question that I hadn't written down here if you're a parent or a grandparent in this room here's the question Can I lead my children out of their pain pit? Oh, did you get it? Can I lead my children out of their pain pit? Here's why that's an important question. I can guarantee you that your kids and your grandkids, mine as well, are going to face a far more challenging world to live in than you and I faced when we were their age. Would you agree with that? So we have got to know how to get out of the pit so we can help them to get out of the pit, right? First step, look up, because the only one who can get you out of the pit is Jesus Christ. Second step, experience his rescue. I mean really experience the power of God's rescue when you reach to him. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. (laughs) He lifted me out of the slimy pit where I was. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, and many people will see and put their trust in the Lord. And what did I do? Do you see in that verse there's not very many eyes. There's a whole lot of he's, so circle them. He turned to me. He lifted me out. He gave me a firm place. He put a... The truth is all you and I can do is reach up, cry out, and say, God, help me. And he promises that he will do that great help. And when he shows you whatever it was in you that got you into that pit in the first place then he expects you to turn from that, doesn't he? Don't go down that slimy path again. That's why the Apostle Paul, he wrote to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He showed me great mercy. Even though I was once a blasphemer, I was a persecutor of Christians, I was a violent man. But he extended his grace to me so that in me, (laughs) the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience, his resurrection power, his transforming deliverance. Amen? Could you write a story about you? In fact, that's why the questions are there. What is your unique story? There's nobody on the planet that has your story of how you found yourself in your pain pit, your place of despair, and how you reached out and God met you there. And maybe your story has many chapters to it. What is your unique story? This Thanksgiving week, spend some time thanking God for the times in your journey that he has rescued you. Who would you be without Jesus and his rescue? What is your life displaying about Jesus to the world? The story of the Exodus in the Old Testament is there in part to help us understand what I'm trying to tell you. There was no way those slaves were getting out of Egypt, right? More than a million of them. But the most powerful army and Pharaoh on the planet was making sure they stayed there as slaves. But there was a greater power, and God himself came, and with plagues and with the angel of death and the opening of the Red Sea, God himself rescued them out would you agree that it doesn't matter what your pit is it doesn't matter how deep it is how slimy it is how strong of a hold it has on you God can break you free out of your pit do you agree with that yes please if you doubt that you don't have a big enough view of God you don't see him for who he really is and you don't understand how much he loves you and how much it breaks his heart to see you stuck in the bondage my dear friends of that desperate pit of despair, whatever it is for you. It's Thanksgiving week. I know that for some it's going to be a painful week. There will be empty chairs around tables all across Walworth County. Folks who you love who used to sit in those chairs and they won't be there and there's a lot of reasons for that. Some have stepped into glory, and I see your brother Glenn over there, and uh, their Carol is in God's presence. Amen. Caleb Bond is in God's presence. Amen. Milt, your dear bride, is in God's presence. Amen. Some families have broken apart, the pain is deep. Some are serving in the military far away, or for other reasons are not present. Thanksgiving's going to be wonderful, but it's also going to be painful. God wants to reach to us this Thanksgiving and meet you at that place of hurt and encourage you. Watch this video clip. I think it'll help you with that.
1: This is me. Call me Checker. I wasn't the smartest or the fastest but I was the oldest in my family and family we had plenty of. I was one of six kids and my mama was one of ten and every one of my mama's brothers and sisters had at least three children except Aunt Lainey who taught English and she thought that was fun. Needless to say going to my mama's house for Thanksgiving was always exciting and she fed us biblically. Men first, women second and children last. Apparently that's somewhere in Leviticus. I didn't even know that turkey had white meat. In our world, it was lumpy mashed potatoes, white loaf bread, and iced tea with a single cube of ice. For dessert, you had minced meat pie, which we all knew was smuggled into the South by Yankees during the War of Northern Aggression. But the best part of all was that in my mama's front yard, we always got to play football. Now in this particular year, it was storming outside. So I thought it would be a good idea to move the football game into the house. But it was still football and i was a quarterback i took the snap pitched it back to him and then i went long towards the corner of course i made a beautiful catch now immediately i went to what was known as a missionary prayer god if you'll heal the lamp i'll go to africa and serve as a missionary until the day i die when i open my eyes Aunt Lenny was standing in the doorway. This was it. I was going to die in the bathroom. In my grandmother's house on Thanksgiving. We're gonna wash your face and comb your hair. I will never forget what she said next. Because the boss wants you at the big table with the men. Now, we didn't call Papaw anything but the boss because he pretty much ran the town and everybody worked for him. And she just said, the boss wants you at the big table with the men. As I entered the dining room, first thing I saw, white meat on the turkey. Yeast rolls as big as your fist. Those suckers all these years have been eating coconut cake while we ate mincemeat pie. I was greeted by a name I'd never been called before, Kenneth Hall Smith Jr. And I greeted Uncle Luke, and Uncle Bobby, and Uncle John, and all the guys around the table. And I made my way to sit right by the boss. There's nothing less than a Protestant bar mitzvah. Son, from now on, you're gonna be one of the men in this family. And if you ever need anything, you let us know. He told me what being a man meant, and the importance of having purpose in my life, but I will never forget what he said next. Don't mess our name up, let us pray. Dear God, thank you for the white meat on the turkey, and yeast rolls, and fresh coconut cake. And thank you that I could sit at the big table with the boss. family and we wouldn't be having thanksgiving with mamaw anymore but i like to remember why god gives us so much when we deserve so little maybe it's simply because we are his children
0: you remember what it felt like when you bumped the lamp and it crashed at your house? Whatever that was in your journey of life. Remember what it felt to have that hand pick up your collar and you thought you were going to die in the bathroom? Remember what it felt like when you thought you had disappointed God one too many times? And God had every right to pick you up and say, I'm throwing you out. You embarrass me. God is saying to you and to me this morning. I love you. And I understand where you're going in the journey of life. And I understand the pit that you find yourself in. And if you'll reach up to me, I'll reach down to you not to punish you, but to lift you up and bring you to set at the big table right next to me. Own that, my friends. Own that because that's why there's a cross in the front of this church amen that Jesus Christ has made it possible for the boss if I can say that with all respect to reach to you and to me and invite you up as one of his sons or daughters to sit at the big table with him now out of your heart should pour enormous gratitude so that's the third thing that I want you to see there in your notes live the gratitude rose parade has anybody ever been to the Rose Bowl parade in Pasadena Oh, my. I have to ask you, does it smell like flowers? It must. There's millions and millions of flowers, it seems to me, on those wonderful floats as they go by. It must be amazing to smell the fragrance of the roses that go by. And you're saying, what does that have to do with anything? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, verse 14, who always leads us. Who's the us? Us are the people who should have died in the bathroom, but instead we trusted Jesus Christ as we reached up out of our pain pit and he rescued us. He forgave us. He placed his Holy Spirit within us and he leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ. That means we live victoriously out of the pit, over the dark kingdom and the things that would so easily drag us down. He, God, leads us victoriously as trophies of god's grace in a triumphal procession and through us you and me he spreads everywhere what does it say the fragrance of the knowledge of him there it is fragrance you and i as we live our lives it's like the rose bowl parade there should be a fragrance that just comes out of our lives naturally that is pouring out of our enormous gratitude to God for what he has done for us. Instead of killing us in the bathroom, he raised us up to be alongside of him as his sons or his daughters. And the gratitude should just pour out of us in the way we speak, in the way we relate to other people, in the way we live our lives. It goes on, look, it says, for we are to God the, what's the next word? The aroma, there it is again, first fragrance, now it's aroma of Christ. We are to God the aroma. We smell like Jesus. Do that a minute. Think about that. What does it smell like to have Jesus in your family or in your workplace? For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, to the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. What does that mean? That means if you have really trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior and he has changed you completely when you are among people who have rejected him and don't want anything to do with him you're offensive because you remind them of what they have rejected. It's thanksgiving we're going to be together with all of our extended family my guess is on every row here there's somebody who's going to be in your extended family party and as you think about it you go oh there's some stuff going on there you gotta ask yourself are you part of the problem and is there something God needs to do in you to resolve that or is it possible that what they're doing is they're rejecting Jesus in you and the other one that the fragrance of life that talks about when we are together God's people It should be a joyful, wonderful, celebrative time as we celebrate in each other all that God is doing in our lives, the difference Jesus is making. Amen? It should be a huge part of our conversation. As we're talking just normal conversation with each other, how much Jesus is making a difference in our lives. It should look like that. Do you agree? It should look like that. It should sound like that. It should smell like that. So my question... What is my fragrance when I'm with my family, especially my extended family? What is my fragrance when I'm at my workplace or my school? What is my fragrance when I'm with my social group, the the folks that I hang out for for fun? What is my fragrance in the nostrils of God? Contrast the sour smell of a bitter person With the sweet smell of a person who's met Jesus Christ and whose life is transformed and the Holy Spirit is alive and well in them. There should be a gigantic contrast between those two. You remember that verse that says, The fruit of the Spirit, it could easily read, The fragrance of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Remember that? So, (laughs) how do you smell? Could I ask you, if you're married and you have a family, be courageous enough to ask your spouse and your kids how you smell. How's the fragrance of Jesus with you? And be honest enough to say, "If, if I don't smell good sometimes, would you help me see what is it in me that is not the aroma of Jesus? Because I need to change that. Huh? what does it look like when we smell like jesus how do you become a true worshiper of the living holy almighty god where is the starting point worship begins by saying thank you thank you two simple words that can be at times oh so difficult to say thankfulness is a discipline It's a learned behavior. We have to teach our kids to say thank you, even when they're given something they don't necessarily want. Am I right? And have you noticed, if you've been around this most recent generation, they're even teaching their children sign language before they can actually form the words. Am I right? What does this mean? More. What does this mean? Please? Thank you. Do that with me. Isn't it interesting that it's close to your mouth? Hmm. Does what comes out of your mouth sound like thank you to God every time you open your mouth? Hmm. Giving thanks is a way for us to declare the glory of God. It keeps us in a heart posture of surrender and humility. It reminds us that our lives are in someone else's hands. Thankfulness helps us recall God's wonderful acts of mercy and grace to recognize that these very acts are born out of his unchanging nature. So here's the question. Am I really thankful? Is my heart full of gratitude or resentment? Gratitude and resentment cannot coexist in the same heart at the same time. Resentment is indignation toward God. It takes offense at apparent mistreatment. Resentment is the attitude that I did not get what I deserve, that I have somehow been unfairly injured or mistreated. Resentment is rooted in pride. It is watered with the tears of self-pity. It bears the fruit of bitterness. It scatters the seeds of envy. The resentful heart cannot say thank you for what it has been given because it can only look at what it does not have. Wow. Can I read that little phrase again? The resentful heart cannot say thank you for what it has been given because it can only look at what it does not have. And therefore, the resentful heart cannot be a place of worship because thanksgiving is the beginning of worship. In order to be a worshiper, I must learn to say thank you, even in hard times. Maybe especially in hard times. So let me give you a fourth thing today, my dear friends. Living generous gratitude. To get out of my pain pit first, I'm looking up rather than being consumed by the junk. Second, I'm reaching up and He is rescuing me and I'm experiencing His rescue. It's not just intellectual. It's not just emotional. It's not mystical. It's real. It's powerful. My life is changed by the power of God. I'm not the person that I was. As a result of that, I live gratitude and there's a fragrance about me, an aroma just by virtue of who I am that draws people to Jesus. I smell like Jesus. And lastly... I naturally become generous. It's just an outpouring of my gratitude. Turn a couple pages over, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. It could read, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, isn't that important? Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What does it look like to live generous gratitude? Well, I put there in your notes a question. What are the things that God has entrusted to you that you in your gratitude to Him can share generously? How about time? You can't stretch time. You can't stop time. You can't speed up time. You can't buy time. Every moment you live is a gift from God. Is that a true statement? Every moment you live is a gift from God and you got two choices. Either you can, it's my time. Don't anybody touch it. It's all about me and how I can use my time for my personal benefit. Or, God, I'm so outrageously grateful for the gift of time. How would you like me to use it for your great glory and for the benefit of humanity? Huh? Or how about soul? That's your heart, your mind, your will, that core of who you are. You know that you can be a great source of encouragement to a lot of people. Or or how about your talents? These dear folks who lead us in worship week after week after week. uh, These men who welcome us as ushers. uh, The tech team that's back there that's making it possible for you to see and hear and capture this on camera. uh, Sending it up to North Dakota and putting it on our website and making it available to our shut-ins. That's people who have remarkable talents and are willing to use them all for God's glory and to benefit our world. What are yours? And is your gratitude to God pouring out in generosity to the world? what about treasure the clothes you're wearing the jewelry on your hands the automobile sitting in the parking lot the the home or condominium or townhouse that you're going to drive to whatever you're going to have for lunch all of it whatever's in your bank account whatever money will ever pass through your fingers do you agree that all of it is his and none of it is yours now that's an important statement but when you view everything everything that you've ever held as not yours and his, then you become a manager of God's resources. The question is, can he trust you to manage it the way he would spend it if he was here? Because if he can, oh my, that will bring such great delight to him and he will keep pouring through your hands the resources that he knows will be used the way he would want them to be used for the benefit of our world and for his great glory. But the day that you begin hoarding it for yourself, I can guarantee you he will begin to withdraw it. He can't trust you with it. So this Thanksgiving and this Christmas, I urge you to think about it. Every time you write a check, every time you reach for your wallet, God, is this the way you'd want me to spend it? For your great glory? Because it's not mine, it's yours. And if I spend it in a way that isn't honoring to you, I have just stolen from God. How about the Holy Spirit of God that's in you? How would he want the Holy Spirit of God to reach out from you generously to touch your world? How about the gospel that's changed your life, the passions that God has given to you, the potential that who you are? See, gratitude and generosity go together, and that's thanks living. And bitterness and selfishness go together, and that's that pit of despair that we can find ourselves in. And if you notice, you tend to drag other people into that pit with you. So what does it look like practically? Looks like the way that many of you folks are living life. Last evening after we finished and closed with our last song and I prayed with folks, I noticed there was a huddle of folks sitting in that back area. It was three of our Calvary men and a young man I'd never seen before. They introduced me to him, and now as I understand some of the story, the young man had just gotten out of prison. He'd been living in Kenosha area with a group of folks who took him in, but those group of folks did not have his best interest at heart. And he was being dragged back down into that desperate pit that ended, up in, ended him up in jail in the first place. And so it's my understanding that yesterday morning he made an outrageous decision. He had a friend in Janesville. He didn't have a car, and he didn't have money to hire a taxi, but he had two feet, and he started walking from Kenosha to Janesville to get out of the pit. And it's my understanding that it came over the rise coming out of Lake Geneva towards Williams Bay here. It was dark. He still had a long walk to Jamesville, and he'd reached a desperate place, and audibly he cried out of the road, God, if you're there, I need help. I need a sign that you care about me. And he came around the corner, and the Calvary sign lit up, just leaped out of the darkness at him. And he came in here. Never been here before in his life. I don't know what time he walked in here during our service, but somehow somebody heard his story, and he met Jesus last night. And beyond that, and beyond that, because he hadn't eaten all day, one of those brothers took him out and gave him dinner and put some more money in his pocket. And another one of those brothers drove him to Janesville to be with the friend that he had in Janesville. And another brother hooked him up with a church from Christian friends in Janesville. Now, what is that? That is generous gratitude living. That's what it looks like. So a young guy started walking from Kenosha yesterday morning, desperate to get out of the pit. And three guys came to worship last night thinking, we're going to go to Saturday worship. We'll go out with our families afterwards and have a meal, not knowing that God was going to bring them together. And a miracle was going to happen right here, and that man will be changed the rest of his life. Amen? So what about you and me this Thanksgiving journey? Let's talk to him. Lord Jesus Christ, are there some folks in this room right now who are in that pit of despair? oh, they don't look like it. They look like they're dressed in their Sunday best and they appear to be just fine, but the truth is their hearts are broken and they're down in that desperately painful place. This morning, God, you've showed us that the first step is to look up to you and to reach up to you and to recognize who you are and that you're ready to help. The second step is to invite you to help and you've promised that you will reach to us and you will break the hold of the pit and you'll draw us up out of that pit. And then as you change us, the third step is to start living our lives in outrageous gratitude to a rescuing Jesus and spread the fragrance, the aroma of Jesus wherever we go. And the last step is to live outrageously generous. Now, God, where do you see each of us in that journey? Why don't you ask Jesus to help you see yourself the way he sees you? Why don't you ask Jesus to help you Take the steps right now, this morning, that he would like to help you take so that you live outrageous, generous gratitude transformed by the power of God. Lord Jesus, we worship you now. We worship you now.